Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Erin Gallimore, and I really wanted to speak to her because her background is very interesting, something I've, I, frankly, I've never seen before. So she worked for quite a number of years in middle schools as a science teacher, and then she left got a master's in civil engineering, worked as an engineer and even as a manager for some time, and now runs her own company doing trainings and consulting and speaking. I'm really interested to learn more about that teacher to engineer transition and, and what really what really motivated that. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Erin. Oh, thank you for having me, Neil. I'm excited to be here. Wonderful. I'm excited to have you here. So I noticed from the bit of research that I did on you that at least your first degree was in chemistry. Where, where did the interest in chemistry come from? Oh, that's a great question. So I originally wanted to go to medical school. And so a degree in chemistry seemed to be in line with my interest from high school and then also for preparation for medical school. So uh, by the time I decided that that wasn't necessarily the best fit for me, uh, it was a little late. It was a, I was in my senior year. So I went ahead and completed my, my degree in uh, chemistry. Oh, wow. You know what? I also at one point had con contemplated going to medical school, too. And what really, I don't, do you remember the show ER? It I'm was, sorry, the what? It was a TV show that was a number of years ago oh, called ER. ER. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I used to watch that show. It was on NBC. It came on on Thursday nights. I used to watch. And when I saw that all these doctors had to sleep at the hospital and they hardly got much sleep at all. That's when I realized that medical, you know, being a doctor wasn't for me. I need my eight hours. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's definitely a deterrent, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. What was your deter what, what was the thing that made you say this not this wasn't for you? Yeah. Uh, so w during my college years, I'd spent a lot of time doing volunteer work at hospitals, doctors' offices, and different clinics, and. I found that doctors spent an awful lot of time trying to figure out how to navigate the insurance industry and how to best serve their clients based or their patients based on insurance rather than sometimes necessarily doing what was best for them. And so when that started to come to the, the forefront more and more and more, it, that was kind of my deterrent. I really was in it for the medicine and the science, but there was this huge aspect in the, you know, in insurance and, I wasn't interested in that. Yeah, I, I hear you. But then yeah. at some point you graduate and then you started working as a teacher. Was that kind of your fallback position because you realized being a doctor wasn't for you anymore? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I was really in search mode once I graduated with my degree in chemistry. I didn't know what I wanted. You know, I, I didn't know, you know, what I wanted to do with my professional career. I didn't know what step was next. And so I did a lot of things for a number of years um, right after I graduated from undergrad, trying to figure out, you know, what do I do to go back to graduate school? And if I do, what do I do? What do I focus in? You know, um, I thought about law school for a while, you know, and, um, and so one thing that I did while I was an undergrad is I was a supplemental instructor for the, uh, for the professors there. 
and I love to teach, you know, I loved that part of, of being a supplemental instructor. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach school for a while while I try to figure out, you know, what it is I really want to do for my professional career. Maybe teaching is it, maybe it's not, but I know it's something I love in the interim while I'm trying to figure out what to do as an adult, you know, what to do in the adult world. Um, and, and I love teaching, but um, I was still feeling the urge to, to learn more, to do more. And so that, that's when I went back and got my master's. So to become a, a teacher in, in a middle school, does that require any more education past the, the undergraduate degree that you received? It does, yeah. So I had to go back to school to get my teaching license because when I graduated with my undergrad in chemistry, it didn't come along with a teaching license. And so I had to go back and I think I had to take about an additional 30 to 50, I don't remember exactly, it was a while ago, but um, I had to take quite a lot of classes <laughs> in order to get my teaching license so that I could teach. Oh, okay. And then when you, and then when you were, when you, when you were teaching, you taught middle school, was that something that you, I guess, I guess none of it really planned because you didn't plan to go into teaching in the first place, but was middle school something that you were looking towards or was it just, did it just kind of happen your place in middle school? Um, you know, I don't really exactly remember how I ended up in middle school, but um, I knew I wanted to teach science because I love science. And I think that middle school was one of the first positions that I found um, as I was kind of searching because I was teaching while I was going back to school to get my teaching license. So there was a time period where I was still getting my teaching license while teaching. I was kind of in that transition zone. And I think that the middle school uh, opportunity came up and so I took it and Middle schoolers are something else, you know, they, uh, I call them little walking hormones because, you know, I taught sixth graders, seventh graders, and eighth graders. And at sixth grade, they come in just loving you. You know, they want to hug on you and they just, they called me Miss G. And so, you know, they come in so innocent and so excited. And by the time they leave you in eighth grade, they are just way cooler than school and they've got their lives together. And it's just so interesting to watch the transition. They're like, they become mini adults through that middle school transition. And so I'm really glad that I ended up in middle school because it's, it's a really formative experience for children that sixth, seventh and eighth grade time. Yeah. They got those eighth graders got their lives together while still asking their parents for allowances. Right. They've got it more together than I did. You know, those eighth graders had it together. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you got you got it all together when you still need your mom and dad to drive you to the mall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But still, you know, they had they had it all they had it all figured out. Yeah. So at some point I so when I when I first saw that you actually went back to school for civil engineering, I didn't even realize that it that, that was possible to do. So I mean your first degree was in chemistry, but then you got a master's in civil engineering. What what was what was the the I guess the the motivation to do that even? Yeah, it's a good question. So a uh, lot of soul searching, <laughs> you know, and also when you, when you're in high school and then after there are these uh, evaluations you can take that will let you know, based on your personality and your strengths and the things that you're most interested in, it gives you a suggestion at the end. I don't remember the name of those tests. I can't remember them at the moment, but the suggestion for me was you should either be a pastor or you should be a civil engineer. And I'm like, okay, those are very different. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I just started exploring the civil engineering world because it had a lot to do with science. 
And, you know, in civil engineering, a lot of the work is, is outside and it was dealing with water and wastewater. And that was very interesting to me. I did a lot of actual work when I was in high school doing the experiments, you know, at the water and wastewater treatment plants, funny enough. And so I thought, you know, this sounds great. And so I spent a summer with some professors at NC State University and just kind of exploring, you know, is this really something I want to do? You know, and I just went in and I volunteered, you know, during my summer break from teaching, I volunteered to go in and, and work as a, a lab assistant, just kind of getting my hands into everything, just to kind of see what the world of civil engineering and water and wastewater uh, engineering was all about. And I just loved it. I found it fascinating. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I ended up there. Um, and, and to explain a little bit more, Neil, you, you asked about how it's possible. So I had to take a lot of undergraduate uh, classes before I was actually able to enter the graduate program for civil engineering, because my chemistry degree didn't give me all the foundational, if you will, classes that I needed for the master's program. So I spent a year taking those foundational engineering classes so that I could actually start to begin the um, the master's uh, classes for my engineering degree. Interesting. So then once you take these, these other classes, so I guess the, when you did that, the goal was to get a master's as opposed to getting a bachelor's in civil engineering. Would that have taken more time actually to get a bachelor's as opposed to a master's? Well, if I had gotten a full bachelor's, yeah, because the, the course load required for a bachelor's, you know, of course, would have taken me longer than than what was required for the masters yeah so or actually it may, it may have been about equal but i figure you know if i'm gonna can get a master's you know instead of a bachelor's and let's just go for the masters yeah, so, for sure. yeah but i mean the, the classes are essentially the same um except for you know of course a number of the master's classes were a bit higher level because they're master's classes right so in well from what you'd said back in high school you had you were told by this test pastor or civil engineer, but you went into chemistry. Is there a reason you didn't go into civil engineering then? No, I don't know. I, 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 I was really focused on medical school when I graduated from high school. And so I was told by my advisor in college uh, that I should focus on chemistry. And so that's what I did. Um, you know, when you're 18 and you have no idea how the adult world works and you don't really understand you know, careers at that point, because you're just, you know, inexperienced. I was just following the guidance of other people. And so it's hard to be an 18 year old in that regard, because you trying to make decisions for the rest of your life is just crazy. Uh, you just don't know enough. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I actually yeah. studied engineering because my father told me to. Yeah, I didn't go yeah. into engineering for any other reason. I, I wasn't yeah. even that great at math and science, really. And you know, the crazy thing is, whenever I, I, I used to lie about the reason I went, I went into engineering because I heard such interesting stories about people's journey into engineering. They, they, they liked playing with Legos when they were a kid. They were on the robotics team when they were in high school. I didn't do any of that shit. I just, right. I, was, I finished high school and I didn't know what I was gonna do next. My father said, do engineering. And I said, okay. And then, and then, and then I did. Luckily yep. it worked out, but man, if it, if it had, I, I, I would have been a really angry, angry person, I suppose. Yeah. Going. But, you know, it worked out pretty good. So then you ended up getting your master's in, in civil engineering. The, the next jobs that you took on, did you work at, did you actually work as an engineer? I did, yeah. I worked as an engineer for 10 years. Yeah, I worked at um, consulting firms and at manufacturing firms. Um, so I moved around a little bit trying to find, you know, 
the right match. You know, what, what position is giving me what I want and keeping me energized and excited and challenged. And so, yeah, I worked as an engineer, mostly focused in wastewater for 10 years. It was really, it was an interesting, interesting experience. And I got the, the benefit of being able to work out in the field quite a lot instead of being stuck in a cubicle in an office, because I tell you what, cube land, Oh, that's pretty awful, I have to say. So it, any chance I got to go out in the field and actually get involved and do the actual work instead of the planning, I took that opportunity any chance I got because I just, I, I loved actually seeing it in action and not just in, you know, charts or in Excel spreadsheets on my computer. So, yep. So then after working as an engineer for a while, was it always your plan to move into some sort of management role where you were managing people? Yeah, so I've always um, loved leadership opportunities, challenges where you get to take on big projects and bring people together for a common cause and figuring out how people work, right? Because people are messy and people are not robots. And so trying to meet people where they are and at the same time, get them excited about what's going on and bringing everyone together for a common goal is always a challenge because people are, are you know, interesting. You know, everyone is different. It doesn't matter, you know, what your degree is in or how many years of experience you have. Everyone brings a different dynamic to the table. And so the leadership aspect and, and being a manager was always appealing to me because it gave me that opportunity to have that kind of people challenge. You know, before, before you're a manager, you know, you're really dealing with the challenges of projects, which is a little bit of a different dynamic than the people challenge. And I loved that piece. I loved bringing people together and just trying to figure out, you know, how is this going to work and how are these people going to work together? And, you know, um, yeah, that, that challenge was, was always so interesting to me. So yeah, I mean, I was always interested in, in figuring out um, or, and getting myself prepared to step into some management shoes, leadership shoes. The, your work as a teacher, did that inform your work as an engineer in any way? And if so, how? <laughs> That's a great question. I think everyone should have to be a teacher at some point. Um, because there's just so much to learn. You not only learn about, you know, how people think, because, you know, in order to be a teacher, you have to be able to diversify your message, right? Because different people, different children learn differently. You know, it's based on their academic background. It's based on, you know, are they visual learners? Are they auditory learners? You know, are they someone who has to understand the big picture first? Or are they someone who wants you to build up as you go to understand piece by piece by piece? You know, and how you present your message and how you present the content um, matters. You know, and, and, and knowing that, you know, for this subgroup of kids, you're going to have to present it this way. And for this subgroup, you're going to have to present it this way. It doesn't make one right or wrong. It doesn't make one better or worse. It's just we're all different in the way that we think and take in information and process it. And so learning that through a child's eyes and understanding that through a child's eyes is really is a really great experience in learning how to manage and learning how to lead people because we're all children. We're just grown up children now, right? Adults are just grown up children, you know, and the way that you learned when you were in sixth grade or in 12th grade is probably the same way you learn now, you know, and I think as managers, as leaders, 
you know, we really have to think about those things and remember that people are not robots. You know, you really have to meet people where they are, you know, with wherever they are, with their knowledge, with their expertise, with the way that they learn, with their experiences in life, and then go from there. And realizing that, every, you know, if you have a table full of 10 people, everyone is going to be at a different spot. And as the manager and the leader, you have to be prepared for that reality and be okay with it. Because if you try to push everybody into the same box, it's not going to be successful. So yeah, I mean, being a teacher informed me, um, through, has informed me throughout my career. It also has informed me as a mother, you know? And so there's just so much you can learn about being, uh, you know, through being a teacher because you just, you're thrown into this world and you're going to learn it quickly because you have to, you know, to help your kids achieve and to help your kids get where they want to be. And so, uh, so yeah, certainly, definitely <laughs> being a teacher was a, a significant point in my, uh, in my professional career. And only, I have to bring this up too, Neil. So the other piece of that too is being a school teacher, a public school teacher, informs you about different um, kids from different backgrounds, you know, kids of different races, kids of different ethnicities, kids of different religions, kids of different belief systems at home, kids of different experiences with their parents, you know, single parents, um, parents who work during at night and, you know, are, are sleeping during the day, you know, you learn about the reality of things in, um, things in life that maybe in your own background, you know, in your own experience in life that, you know, when you were a child, you didn't experience. But now as a teacher, you're seeing the reality of what this child is going through and how their world is shaped by their home life in a way that you never necessarily understood before if you didn't live that reality. And so being a school teacher helped me to see that reality you know, in person, because I had those kids in my classes whose parents weren't available to help them at home. I had those kids in my classes who didn't have any food in the refrigerator. You know, the only time they got fed was, you know, for, you know, at breakfast and lunch at school. And on weekends, they had to figure out what to do to eat. You know, I had those kids who had everything, you know, and parents did everything for them to the point where they had trouble doing things for themselves. You know, and so I had kids all across the board. And so that was a really great and really hard. Uh, I wasn't prepared for that. You know, when I was a school teacher, I was in my early 20s. So, I mean, I was still a baby myself. And um, having that experience with those kids introduced me or helped shine a light on a part of, um, a part of life that I had never seen before because I wasn't raised in whatever those circumstances or situations were. And so that probably was more beneficial to me as a teacher and has helped shape who I am in my career now than other things, um, because it introduced me to a piece of society that I wasn't aware of before. Um, and I think that's really important because I think sometimes we all assume that everybody is just like us. Everybody had had the same experience we had as children. Everybody has the same home life that we do. And that's not true. So um, I think that that experience was probably more valuable to me than any other as a teacher. Wow. 
you know, if most if more people were like me, this world would be pretty great, though. I I would say. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm delightful. But uh, so uh, at some point, you're working as an engineer. You you move up and move up the ranks to manage people, and then you you leave and and you start your own thing. You're a trainer. You're a speaker. You're a consultant. You're whatever you want to be at this point. Was it your always the plan to go off and and do your own thing? Yeah, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've always, I didn't know what I wanted to be necessarily as an entrepreneur, but I always knew that at some point I wanted to, um, to start something of my own. Um, and I, I can't describe it any other way than an urge. You know, I just knew that at some point I was going to want to start my own business and um, be in control and be able to do the things that I wanted to do, and most importantly, to give a voice, <clears throat> to be to be free to give a voice to people who didn't have voices. Because if I was running my own business and I was running my own show, I would be able to voice things without censorship. Um, because sometimes when, when you're working for someone else, you gotta be careful what you say, and you have to be careful what you do. And, and I really was interested in that because there are so many things I knew I wanted to fight for and be a voice for. And I knew that only my own business would give me that opportunity. So then you, you start your own business. When you started it, I guess one of the, I guess the benefits of, of working for an employer, yes, one of the downsides is perhaps you have to watch what you say, but then one of the benefits is, although this may not be as prevalent now, is you have this steady paycheck. Every other week, money ends up in your account. When you're an engine, when you're an entrepreneur now, you kind of have to go out and, and kill things to eat. So, is that something that you kind of had to take into account? Like, did you do any kind of, I guess, trying to figure out what do I, what can I sell that people would buy? Yeah. So uh, I have to admit, I entered the entrepreneurial world in a naive state. I had a plan. I knew what I was going to do. I knew how I was going to do it. But looking back, I really didn't have a plan. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I really didn't know how I was going to do it. Because when you're looking at it from afar and you've never been there before, right? You never owned your own business. You've never done necessarily the things you're planning to do. You think everything's easy, you know? And you forget about all the pieces of owning your own business that require you. You have to do the books. You have to do the marketing. You have to do the networking. You have to do the content creation. You have to do the, you're the presenter. You are the face. You, you are everything. And when you're, you know, before you step into that world, um, you, I don't know that you recognize all the responsibility that you have and the thing that you probably started your business for and the thing that you wanted to do in your business is probably only going to be about what 10 to 15 percent of the time and everything else is all the other pieces of business and so <clears throat> i think i've gotten off track from the answer to your question neil but um but yeah <laughs> I, I i had a plan i knew what i wanted to do but it's been a different um it's been a different ride since I started. And then, you know, of course, with the pandemic in March, you know, when, when everything began to kind of shift in our world in March, I've completely pivoted my business because, you know, the things that were driving my business before aren't necessarily driving now due to 
you know, uh, different decisions in, in corporate and in other businesses on where they want to focus right now during this time. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm not sure if I answered your question. Feel free to poke me if, <laughs> if I didn't, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, starting my own business was very different than I thought it would be um, on the other side. You absolutely did answer my question, Erin. You thought you knew what you were doing at first, and then you realized quickly that you didn't. <laughs> yes, yes. Summarized, yeah. that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I listen good. Yeah. Yes, you do. You do. So, I'm actually, you mentioned that you had to pivot your business because of COVID. What was your business like before COVID, and what's it like now? What what kind of things do you do you offer clients? Right. So. So before COVID, I was working mainly with corporate, um, corporate clients and businesses, small businesses, larger businesses, and doing trainings for mostly focused on their young professionals and middle managers, you know, doing trainings in, in leadership, you know, for young professionals, it was more along the lines of, you know, now you're in the corporate, now you're in the professional world. What does that mean? Because goodness knows there were no classes in college that taught you how to communicate, how to send an email, how to take notes in a meeting, how to present yourself in a professional way. You know, all the things that you need to know to be a professional that for many of us takes us years um, and a lot of falling on our face before we recognize those things. And so that was the purpose of, you know, working with young professionals. And then for uh, for middle managers or for those preparing to manage, it was just all the things to help, you know, warm you up to stepping into a management or a leadership position because those, uh, those positions can be daunting and overwhelming. You're suddenly going from this, you know, expert and you've been doing so great and such great work that now you've been elevated into a manager position. The, t the things you need to know to be a great manager are not the same things that got you there. <laughs> and so just really preparing those folks to step into those shoes and be successful rather than getting there and going, oh, shit, what do I do? Now I have to manage people, you know. And so um, and oftentimes when people get that panic moment, what they do is they try to shove everybody into the same box and manage everybody the same, which is mm -hmm. not never successful. So um, anyway, that's what I was doing pre-COVID, but once once COVID hit and people were doing all, you know, social distancing and remote work, and a lot of businesses were struggling financially, you know, or concerned that there might be financial struggles, uh, you know, upcoming, they put the work with me on on uh, pause, um, and so understandably. And so I started, you know, thinking to myself, what is it that I can do? Because who knows how long we're going to be in this situation. So there was, at the time, there was another silo of my business that focused mainly on continuing education. And so I started to ramp up that part of my business, which is my main focus now, is um, providing continuing education for water and wastewater um, folks, those people that um, operate plants, those people that, you know, maintain our water and wastewater lines, you know, those people that manage our water and wastewater, which, by the way, are unsung heroes. You know, none of us ever think about, you know, turning on the faucet with having clean water or being able to flush your toilet. And where does that stuff go? You know, because you don't see those pipes, right? Because they're buried. And, um, but those people, I mean, can you imagine not being able to have clean water in your house? you know, or not be able to flush your toilet and have to go to the outhouse. You know, the folks that do those jobs are amazing people. 
um, and they don't get the credit that they deserve. So I provide continuing education for them, but then also for professional engineers. So folks like myself, you know, who've gone to school and got their engineering license and then got gone on to get their professional engineering license as well. I think I was a little redundant right now. Their engineering degree and then their professional engineering license. I also provide continuing education for them as well. Um, and, and my continuing education is focused mainly in leadership, you know, and because if you can't communicate with your people, you know, and you can't communicate the uh, priorities of projects and talk to people in a way that's going to, you know, motivate people and keep them effective and efficient, then that definitely affects your ability to run, you know, projects smoothly and to have successful outcomes. Nice. Do you think you'll ever go back to what you were doing before once this whole COVID is behind us? Um, given the opportunity, I would love to still do the things I was doing before. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would love to do, to do both, you know, to still work with, with corporate clients, to work with, you know, folks helping those young professionals and helping those folks moving into the leadership positions. Definitely. Um, I can see myself balancing both. I mean, but it's, it's a lot of the same content. It's just presented in a different way. Nice. You know, when you mentioned that you your move to self-employment was something that you had always wanted to do, it was, it was good to hear because oftentimes when I hear about women that leave engineering, it, it tends to be on a not so positive note. What, uh, I guess maybe I shouldn't even assume that. Was that the case for you? Hopefully, hopefully you know, engineering treated you well. Yeah, no, no, it was, engineering was a great experience. I loved it. I loved the challenge. I loved, I loved being in engineering. Um, and being in the engineering space is still a challenge for women. Um, I'll be very honest with you. You know, engineering is a male dominated field and um, there are still hurdles for women to overcome in the engineering space. Um, but that is not the reason that I left. The reason that I left engineering and started my own company was because at the end of the day, you know, what I loved the most about my job was working with the people. The projects were great. They were challenging and I loved that piece of it, but I loved working with the people more. And that is what set me on fire. That is what gave me so much joy and happiness. And I want to spend my life and my career doing the things that bring me the most joy and happiness. And that is why I decided to start my own business. Not because I was trying to escape uh, engineering, but I'm still working with engineers and still working in, in water and wastewater. So I'm hoping that I can continue to, um, move the ball forward for, you know, for women in engineering, because I think that we still have some work to do there. That's great to hear, Erin, because a lot of the, I don't even know why I'm interested in this. I'm just interested in people, maybe. But the, I, I, whenever I read or, 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 or watch videos about the you know, women leaving engineering, it always seems to have some sort of, some sort of negative bent to it, you know, some sort of discrimination or harassment or something. I've always been kind of curious, is that the majority of, of women's I guess, opinions on or yeah, their opinions on engineering or were they more like you? They just found something else that they preferred doing and it really had nothing to do with engineering. They would have left anything, whatever it was that they were doing to do what they preferred to do. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I don't know that I have the right answer to that one, Neil. I think some women do leave because they just are frustrated and, uh, uh, leaving seems to be the best uh, option for them at the time. And I fully respect that. Um, but there is a lot of work that the field of engineering um, 
needs to do to be more equal and to be more supportive of women. Um, but there are strides that are happening and there are things that are happening to make that better, but there's, there's room to grow. And so but I, don't, I don't know if I know the answer to the question. Um, uh, and I'm not sure there's a right one, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that um, there are a lot of successful women in engineering too. So it, it's, it's definitely not a, the, 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 the statement that probably covers it all the best is we have room to grow. We have room to do better. We have room to be more supportive. And, and I think that I will stop there. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. So when it comes to, to public speaking specifically, are there, is that something you've always been good at? And if not, what'd you do to get better at it? Yeah, great question. So that's what I do uh, here, Erin. I ask great questions. I don't know what you, you keep saying. You You are delightful, Neil. So delightful. You're, you're goddamn right. Come on. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so I think this is going to be, you know, people probably don't want to hear this, but yeah, I've always been pretty good at public speaking. I've not really struggled with it in my life. You know, when I was in, even in grade school, I ran for student council and I jumped up in front of, you know, the whole student body and I would give talks and I didn't, I never minded jumping in front of the classroom and, and giving talks or presentations and those things. I've always loved public speaking. It's never really... Now, no, don't get me wrong. Before I have to get on and give presentations to people, I get nervous. I always do every time. Um, but once I get up there and I get in my zone, I'm good. I'm good. And so, but I've always, I've always just loved it. And I can't tell you why I just have, and, and the thing in order to get better, the, the only thing I would say to get better would be learning how to manage yourself before. You know, what is that thing you need to do to keep yourself calm and chilled out before? Um, and then during working on trying to cut out the ums, you know, what is something you can do to stop saying um or whatever that word is that you kind of use as a filler while you're trying to think about the next thing you're going to say. Yeah. And being okay with pauses, silence. Yeah. Cause that's always awkward for people so yeah you sound kind of like my mom she's a big she's a big uh, i guess what's the, what's the opposite of fan she hates she hates those ums too so i yeah. once did a an interview with someone and she said you did a good job deal but that person you were talking to i could barely listen to the interview because you kept saying um like, really you couldn't get past the damn ums i should just listen to what the person was saying but no 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 it was the ums, the ums just threw her off completely so he <laughs> sounds sound just like mom <laughs> yeah. Well, now I feel a little self-conscious. I'm like, I'll have to go back and listen to this video. I'm sure I threw some ums in there. I'm quite sure. Somebody's oh. going to go back through and listen and count them and put it in like <laughs> the comments. Well, that's my mom's problem. That's not, <laughs> I don't mind the ums. I was, I was listening to the words. Right. <laughs> not necessarily the ums. So this has all been really interesting learning about you, Erin. Thank you so much for, for taking time to speak with me. Is there anything that you'd like to share about things that you're working on? Um. Well, I mean, some exciting things for me to share is I'm going to be revamping my website, which I'm so excited about, and that'll be coming out in, in a couple of um, weeks where I'm more focused on the continuing education like you and I talked about. So 
But other than that, no, not really. If people would like to reach out and have any questions or comments, feel free to, to connect with me. I'd, I'd love to hear from you and, and happy to talk more about any of the topics that you and I discussed today. How can people get in touch with you? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, my email address would probably, of course, good question. I'm so, yes, on, you man. rock, Neil, rock. Uh, <laughs> Um, my email probably would be the best one, which is just Aaron at AaronGallimore.com. Wonderful. Well, everybody, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering is Teach the Geek to Speak. It's a public speaking course. Consider checking it out at TeachTheGeek.com. Again, that's TeachTheGeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, you're welcome, Neil.